0: How's everybody feeling? Feeling good? I hope you're feeling good. Let's stand up. Uh, we're going to see how this comes out today. I have no preparation whatsoever for... No, that's really true. Everybody laughs. Yeah, we are like, all right, it's going to be really good. Yes. Gonna be... Yeah, that's when it's the best. That's so funny. So, Lord, I just offer myself up to you, Spirit, I offer myself up to you as a vessel to speak through and shine through, and I just pray that you will help me um, with my words. And bless our time together and help us as we look back and look forward in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, you can be seated. So what I want to do today, because we've been in transition, what I want to do today is be very, uh, be as open and as transparent as I know how to be. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and just talk about how did we get here? How did I get here? How did we get here? So at the risk of boring you... Uh, I'm gonna share a little bit of my testimony, which I don't do very often. I haven't done it in years, actually. I've only done it once or twice in my entire life. Um, so at the risk of boring you, if I get to talking too much about myself, I'm sorry. Uh, somebody just hold up your hand and let me know. Like, you, you can move on to a different point now. Will you do that for me, Connie? If it gets too, if it just gets too overwhelming, you just raise your hand. I'll say, oh, okay, the moderator said, I'm talking too much about myself. I need to move on. <laughs> So, um, because I, I, I really have had an amazing week, I've had an amazing month, um, I feel better than I have inside, I feel better than I have in a long time, because I have gotten to a, a level of congruence within myself about uh, where I'm at and about my future, so, uh, but in order to understand that, in order, in order to understand kind of where we've been at, where we're going, Sometimes you need to know a little bit more about where you've been, right? So I used to share this, I guess, more when we did new members groups and stuff like that. But um, So I, I was reflecting on my journey. This is funny. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself while I'm doing this. So, um, <clears throat> but really, I, I have to go back to the seventh grade. I have to go back to seventh grade. Because, you know, childhood things... Yeah, right? Ch- ch- right? Yeah. Childhood things... Um, shape us and form us uh, more than we wish sometimes. And they can be very hard, very difficult to get outside of your childhood paradigms about reality, about right and wrong, about all that kind of stuff, right? And so most of you know that uh, all three of my siblings, all three of my sisters, I had three older sisters, they're all very involved and very supportive, and I love them all very much. Uh, but they grew up in a different home than I did. They grew up in a completely different household than I did. When I was in the seventh grade, my, uh, Jackie and Jamie had graduated from high school, uh, it was my seventh grade year, and so they both went off to college, and Laurie had been gone for a while. I don't know, were you married by then, I think? Or? Got married that year. So, 1984, significant year, not just for George Orwell, but <laughs> for, for our family as well. And, uh, and so, I won't speak to what kind of a house they grew up in, but I know it was very different than the house I grew up in. Because when my sisters left home, I think my mom went through some kind of a, like, empty nest depression. She, she literally, being a clinician now myself, I can say that my mom went through a clinical depression. Uh, she had been a stay-at-home mom pretty much up until that point. And somewhere around that time, she uh, began to go, and my dad owned his own business, his own agricultural business out in the county, and uh, he had inherited it from his dad. And I just figured I'd probably inherit it from mine. I figured that was my family path or track that I was going on. And so something shifted in the family my seventh grade year when everybody left. I'm there by myself. And I don't know if that's when the business problems began or what. All I know was my dad began staying out every night at the bars and not coming home for dinner. And so much of my later middle school and high school experience was this would be my routine. I would come home from school. Um, if I was involved in sports, I would get home later, which was even better. But if it wasn't the right season for that, I would come home from school. I would wait for my mom to come home about 5 o'clock, and that one hour or hour and a half would be pretty much the only peace that I would experience in that home. Because I knew that my mom, I knew that my dad would not be coming home at any given time. My mom wouldn't know when to expect him, and she would be pacing the floor full of anxiety. And being a generally sort of open, sensitive type personality, I would pick up on that anxiety, I would pick up on her anxiety without even knowing what I was picking up on. I just knew that I felt very uncomfortable. And so she would make dinner and have dinner on and dad would still not be home. Of course, this was back before cell phones and text messages and social media and all that stuff. So you hadn't heard anything from him. So then she'd start to get angry on top of anxious. And so I knew eventually my dad would come home at some point in time, uh, too drunk to not be slurring his speech and the war would begin. So I would just try to get through dinner, and then I would go sit in my uh, room, my space, and try to watch TV, and I would check out watching whatever, Family Ties or Miami Vice or whatever was on that night while all the yelling went on upstairs. And that was pretty much a daily thing. So... Get into high school, get involved, get into my junior year of high school, and, you know, get past the awkward freshman stage. And I don't remember my sophomore year much, but by my junior year, my junior year was really good. Going into my senior year, I uh, had uh, felt like I was doing pretty well. My grades were decent. Um, I would made the honor roll. I uh, had had my swim coach encourage me i had a breakthrough uh, in swimming as a competitive swimmer had a, some breakthroughs my junior year i actually set a record at county high for the most um, yards swam in one day with the fastest time it was a school record uh 20,000 yards in one day so you can figure that out in terms of miles and uh had the fastest time, actually had a record, um, and that was kind of a breakthrough for me. My coach had told me that I had a very promising senior year coming and uh, and I was uh in love like you are when you 're a junior senior, right? like what do we know about love then right? <laughs> but I thought I was in love, you know teenage love whatever and and so life was going pretty good. And so that summer, I before between my junior year and my senior year, I had spent all my time trying to get ready for my senior year. I had some ideas about college. At this point, I had kind of decided I didn't want to go into the family business. And so what I wanted to do was be a writer. And so I had started writing stories when I was four, five years old. I would write them out phonetically. Um, I won some story contests in middle school. And my freshman... Uh, writing teacher. My freshman year of college, told me college professor told me I was the most gifted writer she'd ever encountered in her entire career. So I thought I'd be an English major. I was gonna. This was that was later. But so my, going in my junior year, I thought I'd be an English major, and then I would either teach and write because you know teachers have more free time, right, Jackie? Where oh, Jackie is? He's with the kids. With the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Any other teachers? Teachers have... Yeah, right, Al? Sorry, Al, I didn't see you sitting there. So teachers have more free time, so I figure I could teach and then write during the summers and whatever. Or I might go into journalism. Or what everybody told me, because I love to talk and I love to argue even as a kid, uh, everybody said you should be a lawyer. So I thought, well, I have to be able to read and write all that stuff, so an English major would translate well into law school if I did that. So that, that was kind of my thinking. And... Uh, and so I go out this one particular Friday night. Everything's going good. I, I go out on a date, and I come home. Uh, no, I go, to, I'm working as a lifeguard. So I come home from my lifeguarding job at the Pueblo Army Depot at the time. And uh, I come home from that job, and my dad's car is home, which was never home that early. I got off early because we had to close the pool because of lightning and thunder, whatever. My dad's car was home, which was unusual. I walk in the house and my mom's bawling in her chair, which was not unusual, because she was suffering from some clinical depression. But I could tell this time it was different. And so I uh anyway, my mom discloses to me that uh and I didn't understand, I couldn't get my mind around it, and all the ins and outs of it, it really doesn't matter, and would take too long to explain. But the bottom line was The Department of Agriculture had come in that day and shut down my dad's business. And my mom mentioned that she had, that um, the district attorney was involved. And they were hoping that there wouldn't be charges pressed. And then she's giving me this glimmer of hope of, you know, we'll get records and show these things. and. Hopefully, you know, they'll open back up, whatever. So I didn't know how quite to deal with that as a junior. So I, you know, I just went out on a date. (laughs) Actually, I think my my girlfriend must have come over to the house. Because what I remember was her leaving about uh, 1120, or I'm sorry, 1140, 1145 to be home by her 12 o'clock curfew. And then going to bed, staying up and going to bed maybe about 1 o'clock. About an hour and a half after that, the phone is ringing in our home, and I wake up to the phone ringing. So I immediately think something must have happened to her on her way home, and that perhaps she missed a curfew, and her parents realized that she wasn't there, and they were trying to call to see if she was there. So my immediate thought went to fear that something had happened, there had been an accident or something like that. The next thing I know, I'm hearing voices upstairs of these men. Now, I realized that there were farmers that were upset with my dad. And so I thought for a minute we (laughs) there was something really bad going on. And being raised on a farm and out in the county, I had my shotgun right next to my bed. And so I was ready to load up my shotgun and see who was harassing my parents upstairs. It's a good thing that I didn't do that because it was the sheriff's department showing up at 2 o'clock in the morning to arrest my dad and put him in jail. So Keep in mind, I thought everything was normal and perfect and whatever. The next thing I know, I'm asking mom what's going on. She tells me what's happening. And that day, everything changed for me. Uh, what had happened with my father became the lead story on the front page of the newspaper, the lead story in the news. And when you're a teenager, you have this psychological thing that goes on with every teenager where they think they're the center of the room. Doesn't matter if it's because they think they're beautiful or important or they think they're the ugly duckling. <laughs> if they walk in thinking they're beautiful, they think everybody wants to, is talking about how great they are. Or if they're the ugly ducking, duckling, they think everybody's talking about how disgusting and ugly they are and talking about them. It's called the spotlight effect. It's a very real thing. So you might be able to imagine how much the spotlight effect was magnified in my thinking by having my family business all over. In a small town like Pueblo, a small com- community like Pueblo County. And I didn't know how to cope with that. So I just stopped doing everything. I stopped my training. I just, my head was just spinning. And of course, you now my dad is able to get out on his own recognizance and then you have all these legal things that go on. But guess how my dad decided he was going to cope? He's going to spend even more time at the bars. So all I can say is my senior year is a blur. I don't remember much about it. it wasn't fun. And I did nothing successful <laughs> because I watched my dad cope, so guess how I coped? So I remember ditching. Man, we, we, we were experts. My, this friend of mine, uh, I shouldn't say his name. We're still friends. <laughs> I'd like to keep it that way. Nobody you guys know uh, lives in Texas. But we, we became expert ditchers. And so I remember, uh, Mr. Toss would take, uh, roll, and then he would start writing on the chalkboard, and there was an exit right out the back door, so I would sit in the back of the desk, wait till they took roll, and then I would pop out the door, <laughs> and I'd meet up with my friend, and then we had the next class, uh, that was after that, uh, our teacher just didn't care what we did. Didn't care if we showed up, whatever. It's one of those teacher's aid type things. And so we would get in his car, and at that time you only had to be 18 to buy beer, or we, we had just barely missed the cutoff, and my friend looked old enough, I guess. Or we were just able to go to Eastside Liquor. Anybody remember Eastside Liquor on 4th Street? It's, it's our age. You could go through the drive through and they would just sell to anybody. So we would, we would go to Eastside Liquor. We'd leave county. We'd go to Eastside Liquor. We'd buy a six-pack or a 12-pack, and we'd start drinking, and we'd just drive to Fowler or whatever, however long we could get away with it, and then we'd come back, and then we'd go back to school. You know, it was just insane. It was a different time back then, especially at County High. There's a lot of teacher-student marriages that came out of County High. <laughs> it's a different time. That's just, am I right? I mean, this is the truth. Am I, you know. Not just county high <clears throat> so um, so then i 'm getting ready to go to college. I decided to go to Adams State College. I get through my senior year. it was miserable, it was awful. I barely remember it and i 'm getting ready to go to adams state college and uh, and I come home a week before i 'm supposed to leave. Another weird thing, no warning. I come home and I noticed all the light fixtures, all the newer light fixtures that my dad had bought over the years were missing. And all those old light fixtures that I barely remember from when I was like five or six or seven years old are hanging up all over the house. I'm like, what's going on? And I walked down the basement, we had a pool table, and my dad is slaving away, sweating, trying to take apart the pool table at nine or ten o'clock at night. I'm like, what in the world's going on? And he says, the sheriff showed up today, And we have seven days to be out of our house. Now, my parents had lived in that house for 25 some odd years, something like that. And they had to get all their stuff out in seven days. Ironically, in seven days from that time, they also had to drop me off at college. So the next thing I know... I leave my house, it's the last time I ever lived there, to go to college, and I come home, and literally, I come home after about two months to visit, and literally, my parents are living in a rat infested, cockroach infested, double wide trailer in Avondale. And guess how my dad coped? <laughs> So needless to say, so I, so I'm, I'm hurting. My point, I'm bringing all this out to say that I was really hurting and searching for answers. I was really angry. I was very upset with, oh, by the way, we weren't allowed to come back to church. So I was mad at the church. I was mad at religion. I was mad at everything and everybody. <clears throat> but I was hurting. So without going into too much details, it just continues to get worse. Finally, the the issue comes to a head. My dad ends up going to jail. My dad ends up being convicted and going to jail. And everything kind of comes to a head for me uh, after all this when he's still drinking a lot. And we get into a physical altercation. And I end up getting into a fist fight with my dad. And uh, it was just ugly. So at that point, I went into my own... Clinical depression. <laughs> but when I was at Adams State, before all that happened, when I was at Adams State, I went to a Petra concert. How many of you remember Petra? Somebody drug me to a Petra concert. And Josh McDowell was speaking. How many of you ever heard of Josh McDowell? So Josh McDowell claims that he was an atheist who tried to prove the Bible wrong and proved the, the whole Christian faith wrong and ended up proving uh, himself wrong that he was wrong. <laughs> and so he wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, so he was speaking, and, for the, and whatever was said, whatever was going on with me, wherever I was at emotionally, whatever was said in that moment, in that meeting, convinced me that the Bible was reliable and trustworthy, and that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior, and that I needed to give my heart and my life to him. And I just never was one to do anything halfway. So I just went all the way in. About a year after that, things happen. I end up finding myself in what I now know to be my own clinical depression. I had severe social anxiety. My social anxiety was so bad that I had to drop out of college because I could not handle the anxiety of simply being in class with other people. I didn't know, you know, back then, counseling, medication, I mean, there just wasn't an awareness, especially in Avondale, Colorado in the 80s and early 90s, about that kind of stuff. And so I turned... To God, I turned to my faith. And so the only thing I knew to do was I would listen to Christian radio, KFEL. (laughs) Roger. Uh, Roger was on the board of KFEL uh, for a long time. But I would listen to it. I'm very involved with it. I would listen to it from the time I woke up in the morning till pretty much till I went to bed. And if I wasn't there, I was at Scripture Supply Store. There was another Christian bookstore on the south side of town that I preferred. And they would let me read their books for free, so I would sit at Scripture Supply and I would read the books for free. In fact, I got so regular there they gave me a job. <laughs> so most people don't know that I worked for them for a while. Uh, then I got involved in Bible study, and my boring. Is this okay, Connie? Am I doing all right? Okay, I'm doing okay. All right. So I'm trying to like bring it down to what's really important. But so I get involved in this Bible study, and one of the things that we did was uh, co-taught. And so I did a teaching, and the leader was like, wow, you've really got a gift for this. So I get involved in my church, and I get so radically saved. When I finally get involved in that Bible study, see, i reached a breaking point where I realized, honest to God, I was so clinically depressed and afraid, it was suicide or Jesus. Now, that's an inspiring vision from the church, isn't it? I mean, that's part of the problem. I look back on it now and I realize that's part of the problem with the church. We can't inspire people. It's like, I'm not bad off enough yet that I have to serve God. I'm not bad off enough yet that I give my life to this. But anyway, for me, it was suicide or Jesus. And, you know, I thought, well, can always try suicide later. Let's give this Jesus thing a try. <laughs> so I just went all in. So, so, but I did find I did find empowerment, and I did find uh, I began to find something that I was good at. And I began to find some acceptance and and some social stuff. Uh, met Al back there about that same time. He was going to the same church, and my sister Lori had come home for her own reasons, and. Uh, And the next thing I know, and then I was leading some of my friends to the Lord. In fact, I started going to church because I led a few of my friends to the Lord, and I'm like, I don't know where to take them. (laughs) I don't know what to do with them now, so I started going to church. (laughs) So before I know it, we invade this 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 church. If you can imagine, um, they didn't have a lot of young people, maybe not very different than where we're at right now. And we invade with this just like eventually sort of this army of young people. I think at one time, like college-age people, I think at one time, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was 30 or more, I'm thinking about when we did the play performance and stuff, uh, people that were coming. And they asked me to lead the college and career Bible study. And so before I know it, here I am just coming off my own mental and emotional issues looking for help. And the next thing I know, I'm leading stuff at a church. And I just kept getting more and more radical, especially when we began to touch upon the things that were supernatural. So here's what happened to our group. We would get together, and I don't even remember how it all started. I think we heard about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and uh, we all got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the next thing you know, we just couldn't get enough of the spiritual high that we were getting off of experiencing supernatural stuff. And so about that time... Again, I'm 19, 20, 21, during this time, 22, so early 20s. We're experiencing the supernatural. I mean, crazy stuff. I remember Justin Shuey. Justin comes to first service. And I'll never forget, we were sitting there in some kind of whacked out spiritual state, mystical state. And he's sitting here doing this. I'm sitting across the room. He's sitting here doing this with his hands. And finally, he just looks at me all freaked out. And he says, (laughs) He says, Aaron, he says, I feel like I have the word of God in my lap. Not the Bible, like this energy, right? He didn't say energy, though. He says I feel like I have the word of God in my lap. He says, I can feel it. He says, I can put my fingers in it. It's like, it's so weird. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty weird. I mean, you'd have thought we were, we were stoned or that we were on mushrooms or something. I mean, because we were, we were just like, oh, yeah, wow, well, this is cool, you know, on these spiritual highs. And literally, he takes this ball of energy that, who knows, who knows, right? He takes this ball of energy and wants to see if he can squeeze it like that, like almost like to pop it, you know? And I'm sitting across from him, right? So he squeezes this ball of energy, and the moment he does that, whatever that thing was, shot right at me. (laughs) Knocked me out of my chair. I'm not kidding you. Knocked me back and out of my chair and put me in convulsions while I felt like I had electrical circuits running through my entire body. And then I just laid there like, wow, what a trip, man. So I started getting into this stuff more and more, so I'm like, if a little's good, a lot's better, right? So I got to where I was spending 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours a day reading my Bible and praying. To charge my battery and build myself up. Well, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. We weren't going to a charismatic church. We were going to one of those churches that they didn't know what they believed. Seriously, you go in and ask the pastor, what about speaking in tongues? He pulled two different commentaries and said, one group believes this, one group believes this. And we'd say, well, what do we believe? Well, I don't know. They're both men of God. So I go up for prayer. They, they have this like, and, and you, you get what I'm talking about. So they have the elders for, for prayer and and... Come up, and I felt led by the Holy Spirit to go up. And so one of the elders who had a spirit-filled persuasion begins to prophesy over me about how many lives I'm going to touch and the impact that I'm going to have. And uh going to nations and, and all this stuff about ministry. I hadn't even thought about ministry, but he has this prophecy over me about this. And the next thing I know, I just feel a compulsion to pray for him. Like, it's just coming from my heart, right? So I just put my hand on him like this. And I just say something like, Lord bless or help or something. And the next thing I know, he starts bouncing around the church, the front of the church, like a jackhammer with uh, like every, like just convulsing and bouncing around. And I'm like, I'm as shocked as anybody is what what's going on. And the next thing I know, he like flies over like the, the rail. All I know is he ended up underneath the piano. Like this major scene in this not charismatic church. And everybody's looking at me. And they're like, what just happened? I'm like, I don't know. You're the pastor. You tell me what just happened. I have no idea what just happened. And so I began to notice that I would pray for people. I remember one of my neighbor had sprained her ankle really bad. Came over. I said, let me pray for it. I began to pray for it. And I could feel the the... Tissues and tendons, whatever, whatever gets messed up in a sprain, whatever it is, ligaments, whatever it is, I could feel them literally moving and the swelling going down while I was praying. I would encounter people, I remember encountering people and just knowing, being able to know things about them. I remember being able to have prophetic things about what the future was coming or about having visions or being able to give prophetic words about the future. And nobody taught us this stuff but we were like crazy and so like it was like a week later a month later after the the jackhammer that's what i call it the jackhammer event cuz he was just bouncing around like a jackhammer in front of the whole church i'm like whoa they they shut us down you can't lead the group anymore we can't have any more of this this is too crazy this is too wild blah 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 right so thought well what do I do with myself? I had this prophetic word. I'm going to touch nations and all this stuff. And I decide, well, I should probably go to Bible school. And so I was looking for ways to get out. But again, we're broke, right? I'm still living it with my parents. We're living in a tiny place. There's, There's just, there's no money. There's no sense of any kind of financial empowerment at all that I could go on and do anything. And so I meet a guy who had started a Bible school in Pueblo, and he also had a prophetic word over me that was very accurate and startling to me. I'm taking way too long with this, Connie. You've you got to help me. you got to help me. So I, I, end up, I end up going to this Bible school, and we end up in a cult. Seriously. Like this leader was, he needed therapy and medication, psychotropic kinds. So before we know it, we're part of this group that we're the anti-church church. Like, we meet in home groups because that's what they did in the book of Acts. They met in home groups. So we meet in home groups, and then there's all this weird teaching about apostles and prophets and all this weird stuff. And all I know was the guy was a misogynist and he was insecure, and he was bipolar, and he probably had a narcissistic personality disorder. It was so much fun when I went back to school, Don, and started learning all these diagnoses, and I go, oh, well, that's what this was. Well, geez, this wasn't the devil. This was just a narcissistic personality disorder. (laughs) And and so we sit under this teaching, this, this abusive authority, this kind of hyper shepherding thing where you, you you have to check in and and if you question anything you 're a Jezebel, especially if you 're a woman, and there 's all this misogy- misogyny and all this control and all this stuff, and finally we 're just kind of fed up with it. long story short, he ends up leaving, and we take over the home group and we 're like well we 're changing stuff now this is about two thousand, so i 'm about thirty years old i 'm getting there, Connie. <laughs> I'm getting there, all right. I'm getting there. I'm getting. There. <clears throat> I think. I, I think it's important that you understand the the steps and the progressions. To take over this church, it it takes off immediately. I, I mean, we go from 30 people in about a year to close to 200 people. We get out of our little space that we're meeting in. We get into a bigger space, and all I knew how to do. I had no people skills. I mean, you gotta remember, I mean, I'm just like shut down and broken from, I'm growing up in a home, in an alcoholic home, where they don't talk about the alcoholism, where you don't know what normal is. One of the problems when you're growing up with alcoholics is when they're sober, one set of rules applies. When they're drunk, another set of rules applies, and it changes all the time. So you don't know what to expect in your formative years, you don't know what to expect, you don't know what normal is. You walk in, I see some of you nodding your heads, you walk into social situations, and you feel like a fish out of water because you don't know what normal is. And so, what you do—tell me if I'm wrong—some of you, you sit back and you observe to figure out what all the social contracts are before you start engaging to make sure you don't mess up. So I know people skills, and I figured out some of you—if you haven't watched it—and I'm gonna—I don't, I don't, I don't, I really don't care—if some of you haven't watched it, you, you need to go into YouTube and look up "Creepy Kenneth Copeland." Creepy Kenneth Copeland and watch the interview that he did with this lady from Inside Edition. It'll come up. Uh, it's like a 10, 11 minute interview. And I saw something because it's raw. It's him. He even said at one point, you caught me off guard lady. So it's, it's him as he is, right? And I'm gonna tell you something, he don't have a lot of people skills either. <laughs> And he's the one that said, you know, you gotta protect the anointing, so you stay away from the people and you pray off in your prayer closet before so you can protect the anointing. So that's the model of ministry that I had. So I would stay away from people, and I would be prayed up, I'd be in the Word, and I would come in, and there were times the presence of God would be so strong in those meetings, and that would validate me, right? Because there would be healings, or there would be whatever. Uh, I remember one time, poor Jill Amon, you know, she was in a meeting, And people could feel, as soon as I came out of my prayer closet, they could feel the presence of God around me. And I would, I walked up to her to try to tap her on the head to pray for her. And before I even touched her, she like flew across the like four or five chairs and put her head in the drywall of the building we were meeting at at the time. Like put a huge hole in the drywall. And... One of the guys there was running the sound. He was a paramedic at the time. Was, and I'm like, you know, i got to be the man of faith and power. So I'm like, she's fine. She's fine. Everybody close your eyes. And I'm getting this attention like, because he's a paramedic. I'm like, go check her out. He goes, leans down. He checks her pulse. I'm like, oh, God, really? Like, it's come to that? Like, we got to check the pulse? Like, you know, I don't even check, look for bruises or bleeding or something. But no, we're checking the pulse. Oh, my God. So here it's a healing service, miracle service. And I'm having pictures of, of the, the ambulance and the fire department and her being taken out on a stretch. Her with something around her neck, and all I did was. Anyway, she was fine. <laughs> you can ask her about it next time you see her. She remembers that. But I had no people skills. So then the darndest thing started to happen. We would start going out to dinner with people, and they'd start leaving. <laughs> Oh, we love the church. Oh, we love you. People go up to Julie. Oh, what, what it must be like to be married to such a wonderful anointed man of God. And she's like, you want to try places with me? You want to try it for a week? I'll take a break from it. You try them with them. <clears throat> and so then we would start, well, you got to start building relationships. So we could go out building relationships. I didn't have a clue how to build a relationship. Not a clue. And so they'd leave. We 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 coined this thing the Last Supper. It was the first supper, but it was also the last supper. We'd go out to eat with all these people, and the next thing we know, they're they're hidden. They, where are you? And Then back in church, we, you you just told us how wonderful we were and how great the church was, and now we don't ever hear or see from you again. See no see from you hear see or hear from you again. <laughs> and then people would come for counseling. And I'll, I had three, I had three counseling methods. Admit it and quit it. <laughs> it's called repentance. Just, just stop it. The second one was confess who you are in Christ and read Neil Anderson's book on freedom. Some of you remember that. And, uh, if that doesn't work, we're gonna shout it out. If when in doubt, that was our motto when in doubt cast it out oh my god those were lord have mercy on the people we learned on so the next thing I know I'm in this position where I have to relate to people I don't know how to relate to people I'm in this position where I have to run a business I don't know anything about running a business all I know is how to move in the power of God <laughs> And then I'm a counselor, and people are coming in and saying, you know, they cut on themselves. Like, who does that? Like, I didn't know it's common to take a curling iron and burn yourself on the thighs because you hated yourself so much. You know? Well, huh? well, just you know, stop it. <laughs> it's like, have you seen the Bob Newhart thing? Like, like, <laughs> if you guys haven't seen "Stop It" with Bob Newhart, that was me. You know. I'm afraid of being buried in a box. Stop it. You don't want to go around being afraid of being buried in a box, do you? <laughs> you, you. <laughs> yes, but in my childhood, oh, no, 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 no. We don't go there. <laughs> Forgetting those things that are behind, we press on towards those things that are in. We are a new creation in Christ. <laughs> all right, anyways. So the next thing, so somehow in the midst of all that mess, I was able to find success. Um... But here's the other thing that happened about the moving and the power of God that I need to share. After coming out of the cult, in I was a year into um, pastoring, not even a year. And I'm out on the beach, and I have this vision of Jesus. And Jesus comes to me with a shepherd's staff, and he's carrying this little wounded lamb. Now, for at least ten years, probably... I had gotten through my problems. I had gotten over my problems with those two scriptures. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. And where Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on towards those things that are ahead of me. I got a vision for my future. I got a vision for ministry. I got a vision for who I could be. I shoved all my emotions and all that stuff. And I just confessed the word, prayed in tongues, admit it, quit it, boom. Jesus comes to me carrying this lamb, and I can see that this lamb is wounded, and he hands me the lamb, and when he hands me the lamb, I realize, because I'm a pastor, and pastor means shepherd, and I think, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor now. Like, how in the hell does that work? Like, I don't even have people skills. Seriously. But I'm thrust into this, right? So he hands me this little sheep, and I see that it's got a wound in its shoulder, and I see this, like... like um. When they do arthroscopic surgery, you know, they stick the, the, the scope inside. Like this scope goes down inside the womb, and all of a sudden, all the trauma from my childhood, from growing up in an alcoholic home, from having my dad on the front page of the newspaper and the lead story on TV, and not just that time, but every time he went to court, something. All the domestic violence, all the different things that I experienced and observed and encountered, Growing up, and all the all that unfinished business comes erupting to the surface, and I'm bawling like a baby. And I come into church the next week, and I'm doing a teaching on tithing, money, and I say, "Let's stand up and pray." And the moment I open my mouth to pray, everybody—not everybody, but several people in the room—just start breaking down crying because their stuff started getting stirred up. Not because of anything I said. It was just like an anointing. And we went through this whole season of inner healing where people would come in and every time they, not every time, but it was very consistent and there was a lot of people. So, okay, so I don't want to generalize. But a lot of people would come in. They would uh, come under that presence and their emotional wounds would come up. And they would get healing in the services, but they would come to me like for counseling and I had no clue what I was doing. And so we got involved with another, uh, but but so during that time, I'm looking for answers because I'm fed up with the evangelical church. I realized the evangelical church, this is 2000, I realized the evangelical church is messed up because I just had seen and observed stuff behind the scenes. You have no idea what goes on behind the scenes in ministries. You have no idea the ministries that are on TBN that behind the scenes, they have all kinds of corruption and mental illness and mental disorders and and immoral immorality. I'm, I'm telling you. And we just, it's a celebrity culture. And I was just fed up with it. So I started reading metaphysical books. You know what metaphysical books are? That's the New Age section at Barnes and Noble. I would go in and sneak. I would like hide, like, and then I, cause I didn't want anybody to see me. Like there was a certain person that worked there that was part of the church community, not ours, but just in general. And I would avoid her at all costs. <laughs> like if she was there, I'd just leave. But otherwise, I would just sit there and I'd read these New Age books and and I would come alive inside and say, man, this is there is so much good stuff here. There is so much rich stuff here. And I remember when Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, came out. I read The Power of Now. I'd sit there and make notes and I had an ability to be able to translate it to Scripture. And so I would stand up and I would... I taught The Power of Now for several months from the Scriptures. (laughs) Right? And then somehow... Somehow, we got into this like hyper-deliverance thing where all that stuff's demons. Now, what I was experiencing was actually tapping into the power of God, the power and the presence of God. The more I would give myself to some of that stuff, the more power and presence would open up. People would come in, they couldn't deny the miracles, they couldn't deny the power and the presence, and I was able to frame it from the scriptures. So nobody really had too much trouble with what I was teaching either. But most of what I learned about the spiritual world and about the supernatural came from that stuff. Because, see, here's our problem in the charismatic church. We we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but people who believe in healing can't manifest it. People who believe in miracles can't work them. People who believe in prosperity are broke. So we're a two-gifting company, speaking in tongues and prophecy, because those are the two easiest to fake. I didn't know anybody that could come in with words of knowledge and be dead on accurate. I didn't know anybody that could prophesy over somebody and hit specific events in their lives and how it shaped them without being told. But I was able to do those things, but it wasn't just because I prayed and read my Bible. It's because I'd learned things from other voices and other sources who know more about the spiritual world and the spirit and the activation of the spirit than people in charismatic churches. But then we got in this hyper-deliverance phase. I don't even know how that happened. (laughs) Well, I know part of it was I didn't have a lot of stability because here was my problem. Listen to this. I did not have a lot of stability within myself because I was never called to be a pastor. And I never felt like I fit in. And I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't have the skill set for it. And when I would do my best, instead of there being grace and understanding, Christians would turn into lying, accusing serpents. I've been accused of everything you can possibly imagine by my friends who know better. I mean, seriously. Drug addict. Thief, liar, adulterer, you name it, wolf in sheep's clothing, demon-possessed, heretic, you name it, I've heard it, and not just once. From people I thought were my friends. And all those things I mentioned, completely without substantiation. Why? Because I was never called to be a pastor. People come in, the the preaching would be good, the the presence of God, the power of God would be good, and they'd say, "Um, how come there's not 10,000 people here? And I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Because there was one time that I wanted that, but see, I couldn't because I wasn't congruent inside. I, I I felt like I got to the point... So we had signs and wonders. We had miracles. I was traveling the world. I mean, I had amazing opportunities that opened up for me. Um, I could go to Africa, probably not now, but up to two years ago. You know, Bishop George is one of the biggest names in East Africa. Millions of people watch his television program. When I go, he records me and puts me on his television program. When I was there last time, I don't know how big his church is now, but there have been times we've been there, there was probably 10,000, 11,000 people in the building. Last time I was there, and he oversees 800-some churches. The last time I was there, the presence of God was so strong that those Africans would just fall on the floor. Bishop George would just get on the floor and weep and shake. This was just three years ago. I had them coming up saying, You're like a living, breathing Apostle Paul. But here's the other thing I'm going to tell you. I mentioned reading metaphysical New Age books. Here's the dirty little secret. I have known a number of people in the body of Christ who can manifest miracles, healings, signs and wonders on a consistent basis. And I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. Every single one of them that I've talked to intimately and privately sneaks into Barnes & Noble at the local metaphysical bookstores, and reads metaphysical books because they know ain't nobody in the church got a clue how to operate in the things of the spirit, and they can't tell anybody. I mean, literally, I've talked to preachers who have uh, one, one preacher has like the forbidden section in his house. <laughs> this is great, man. He's got he's got this section in a closet that he, in his closet he doesn't want anybody to see. The intercessors come over. They ain't going in there. Jesus, I talked about this the first service. Jesus in my home, you know, he ain't going in there. And he doesn't have pornography or weird kinky sex toys or uh, who knows, some kind of perverted thing that he doesn't want people to see. It's a library of metaphysical and New Age books. Every single one without exception that I've talked to. There was a pastor... I can't say too much about him, but he was prominent, burned out, totally burned out. And I had good fortune when I went through my own burnout to meet him. And we talked about being burned out and he was putting his life back together. The church had destroyed his life. The religious community had destroyed his life. And he was completely burned out and broken but he had put himself back together, and he was sharing this incredible wisdom with me. And I'm like, man, where'd you where'd you get this? Where'd you learn this? We're walking along the beach. I won't even say where, because I just don't want to give away too much. And finally, I, I, I get him to tell me, and guess where we go? We walk into this metaphysical bookstore, and we walk over to a section on Taoism, which is an Eastern religion. And he starts pulling out all these books on Taoism that mended and healed his life. How am I doing, Connie? Am I doing okay? So so then at some point, at some point, I got into biblical scholarship. See, here's my point. I've looked at the Bible as a fundamentalist. This is the Word of God, the, the dictated, believe every statement, claim every promise, obey every commandment, and not only did I, did that not work for me, not only did that put me in bondage actually trying to do that, not just talk about it, but give your life to that, Everybody else I knew had the same mental illness (laughs) that was trying to do it. Then I looked at the Bible from a metaphysical perspective, and it was life-giving, and there was power, and there was demonstration, and there was presence. And there was healing. And then somewhere along the way, I allowed myself, because of my own instability and incongruence, to let people that I thought knew better than me than I knew for myself convince me that all that stuff was demonic, so I got rid of my library, I burned the books, did all that stuff, we went through hyper-deliverance. Now it wasn't even when in doubt shouted out, it was just shouted out. Then I started reading as a scholar. I started reading Bible scholars. And I began seeing all the problems, and the last three years have gone through a massive deconstruction. Not really the last three, the last ten years. Started when I had my first child. Started when I had Elijah. <laughs> And see, because we adopted him as a baby, he didn't come from my genetics. And it was it was amazing to me. I could understand how your genetic child you could bond with instantly. What I didn't understand was how I could meet this baby that had no I had no responsibility for, I had no connection to, and feel this instant bond where I'd be willing to give my life for that child. And I began to understand the fatherhood of God in a way that I couldn't understand it. And now it didn't make sense to me anymore that he wanted to punish his son in order to feel better about me. And then I began to find out Bible scholars don't believe the Bible teaches that. And then I began to meet wonderful people. And it's like, how, how do you deal with somebody? How do you deal with somebody? How do you deal with somebody? And we'll get to that in a second. And so that was the first chip to fall. God didn't have to punish his son. Well, then you got to start thinking about, well, then what about punishing us? And what about hell? And what about all that other stuff? And then you realize hell was a physical location in Jerusalem that Jesus was talking about. and The Bible doesn't anywhere teach eternal conscious torment or anything like that. And then you find out the Bible has so many issues and problems that you can't even get a consistent story out of the Christmas narrative or the Easter narrative. You can't. Jesus either went to Nazareth, went to the temple and had Jesus... Uh, I'm sorry. Joseph either went to the temple and had Jesus circumcised and then settled in Nazareth after Jesus was born or he fled to Egypt after Jesus was born you can't have it both ways Matthew says he went into Egypt and then came and settled in Nazareth (laughs) Luke said he was from Nazareth no mention of a slaughter of the kids went to the temple eight days later after he's born and then settles in Nazareth who got to the tomb who got to the tomb first you can't tell What day was Jesus crucified on? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke say he was crucified on Friday. John says it was probably Thursday. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say he celebrated the Passover. John says he was crucified during the Passover. And that's just the beginning of all the problems with it. Then you look at the translations and realize that people who understand how they copied and translated the scriptures, that there are over, what did, what did the one scholar say, 14,000 errors in the manuscripts? So all this stuff that you hear that, oh, we have the same manuscript that they had, here. it's not true. It is not true. And there is no archaeological evidence that supports an exodus from Egypt. There is no archaeological evidence that supports... Uh, 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 genocide of tribes in the promised land. That's a relief to me. I like thinking, well, those were stories that Israel told because the Bible wasn't written. The Bible was not written by Moses. The Bible was written in the monarchy after was, was put together and written and edited by the monarchy after the Babylonian captivity. But some people are so committed to the Bible that they'd rather have a God who's into genocide than have a book that has a myth about a God being into genocide. So they'd rather have a flawed God and a perfect book rather than a flawed book and a perfect God or a loving God. And see, then I got into counseling and got into really helping people and I realized people don't, people can't just admit it and quit it sometimes. And as a general rule, people are doing the best they can with what they have. They don't mean to be messing up. They don't mean to be hurting people. They don't mean to be doing what they're doing. I know there are exceptions to that rule, but I'm saying as a general rule, the vast majority of the people that I've talked to are just hurting and broken and doing the best they can with life. And I'm going to tell you, a large majority of Christians, particularly evangelical, Pentecostal, charismatic Christians and conservatives, are the meanest people I have ever encountered in my life. Yeah. And that is just the absolute truth. Yeah. Some of them are some of the most wonderful people that I've ever met, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the liberals that have been mean to me. It's not the progressives that have been mean to me. And I will, you can ask Don, Don. I mean, Don's mom, God bless her. You know, back in my real staunch conservative days, she'd get up... I'd start talking politics because I talked a lot more back then, and she would just politely get up and go downstairs and start serving, washing dishes and cleaning the kitchen and whatever, and then she'd come back up and give me a hug. Conservatives get right in your face tell you how horrible you are. I've never had that with a liberal person. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people like that that are progressives or liberals. I'm just saying that's been my experience. The meanest, nastiest most lying people I have ever met in my entire life are church people and Christians for two decades. That's just the truth, especially if you don't agree with them. It's not love. It's social consensus. It's group consciousness. It's group think. As long as you think like the group, you're good. The moment you don't think like the group, you're out. And they will crucify you. And they will lie about you. And they will try to destroy your reputation because they can't really argue with you. So all they can do is try to discredit the messenger in order to make themselves feel better about the message. It's not even They're not even worried about you. Like those people, they're not even worried that I'm deceiving you or misleading you or leading people astray on the Internet. They don't care about that. The fact of the matter is I messed up their little sandbox. And deep down in their heart, they don't have answers for the issues that I'm raising. And so to make themselves feel better, they come up with stuff to attack me. So I need to bring this thing home. Thank you for listening to me. You guys have been so I've been all over the place. Like I said, I wasn't prepared. So three years ago, so I go through this dismantling with Bible scholarship. It wasn't trying to get away from the Bible that caused me to realize this has problems. It wasn't trying to get away from God that caused me to realize there's some things here that wasn't right. It wasn't trying to hate people or get away from people or for some kind of social acceptance. It was deep search for truth and a desire to get closer to God and to bring healing to people that caused all this dismantling. Because you get in the Bible, you find out this doesn't say at all what we've been told that it says. And here's the dirty little secret. Everybody in academia knows it. But nobody, there is no bridge between academia in terms of Bible scholarship and you guys who are sitting here. (laughs) They write books to each other. So many of us have been held captive to religious lies. And I was very much that way. So how do I sort out like all the... The good things and the presence and the power and and all that stuff. But yet realize I had my own wounds. I had my own incongruencies. I had my own insecurities. I had all this stuff. And I was using religion, the religious aspects, as a mask to try to compensate for the stuff inside of me that I still didn't know how to deal with. And 16, 17 days before my 45th birthday, I just had my 48th. I had this encounter and once again, all that stuff comes to the surface and I have this encounter. And the message in the encounter was, can you learn to love yourself? Can you learn to love yourself? And I've spent the last three years on that journey. And so I decided, and then a few days after that, one of the books that I got rid of when I started my metaphysical journey, I had a man, I ended up in in meetings with preachers who didn't have a clue, not a clue what God was doing in the earth. They mask it, they pretend like they do, but when you talk to them, you have dinner with them, you sit down and drink wine with them. They tell you not to drink wine, but they're out drinking wine. TV guys. They haven't a clue what God's doing. And a lot of them are just messed up internally themselves. They're just successful businessmen, and they're good celebrities. So man recommends read one of these books, and I start reading this book that I had thrown away in 2000 because it was heretical, and I would cry because I'd think, how could I, if if only I'd I'd received this, and I'd get mad, and so I thought I'm gonna go back to the metaphysics. So we go to a metaphysical fair. I'm gonna tell you what happened to me in a metaphysical fair and then I'll oh, I'll let you go. Walk into this metaphysical fair, and I'm scared, man. I'm thinking, you know, I'm gonna get a demon. That's what that's what you get at these things, is demons. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord, now now help me to be discerning, right? Like like if there's someone there that's that you want me to work with, let me work with that person. <sighs> so I walk into this lady's booth, I like walk into her space and I feel the presence of God. Like remember when Justin's like shooting the word of God at me, like, and we're just like, I feel this like, oh, or like those meetings we have where we all get drunk in the spirit. Remember that? <laughs> and I just be like, wow, I feel this. I feel God. And then I walked out of her booth and I walked back over and I said, I said, what is it that you do? She looks at me and she's like, well, you know, just lay down and we'll just, and I said, well, I'm brand new to this. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, like I don't never, this is the first time I've ever been to a metaphysical fair. And she said, well, if this is your first time, you're jumping into deep water with me. <laughs> so I lay down, she starts doing this energy work. And she begins to speak to me about issues in my own heart. And listen, I've been around the the best of the best prophets in the body of Christ. Never had someone see into me like this person saw into me. And the next thing I know, she wants me to go into my past lives, find out where this stuff came from, these negative energies. And I tell her, I don't believe in past lives. She says, I don't care she said just just play it as a just play it as a number game then just play it as a number game like just go just go with the first numbers it's just a game just just a game for your subconscious um how many lives and just go with the first number that comes up like how many lives has this been with you and i'm like i'm just i'm making stuff up man i'm just like, 8 15 I you know i don't even remember it all she finishes up 20 minutes and julie will tell you I was a completely different person. Things were brighter. I was more whole. I was more congruent. I had more peace. And it freaked me out. I'm like, this ain't right. I'm supposed to be like peeing, not peeing, puking. Like what the, what the, what the lady in the exorcist do? I'm like, I'm supposed to be puking. Like my head's supposed to be spinning around and all this stuff. And she did that in 20 minutes, and so Julie's like, "You need to go work with her. You need to go. You need to go work with her." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll go work with her." And so I just contact her. I say, "Hey, you know, this is me. I don't know if you remember me, um, but I, I like to uh, uh, work with you." And she told me some crazy stuff. I'm not. I get a reply in the an email, and she tells me some crazy stuff that I you, you you couldn't handle it if I told you what she told me. You really couldn't. I mean, whatever whoever's left here would be that would be like Aaron's lost his mind. All I know was I'm reading this email and I can feel the presence of God coming off of the email, and I'm getting drunk in the in the spirit. So either I didn't know God at all, or that lady knew God. That's just the truth. Either I don't know God at all, and everything I've ever walked in and preached and manifested from the presence of God is false. Or that lady who thinks totally different than us knew God and walked with God. So I go meet with her, and she doesn't sit there and talk to me about past lives. You know what she does? She sits there and talks to me about her relationship with God and how much she loves God and walking with God. And I start to get hungry and thirsty for that. And I think I want to know God like this. But wait a minute. She's never accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She's from the East. She believes in past lives. She follows Taoism and Buddhism. And she's one of the most beautiful human beings I have ever met. So I worked with her and working with her completely transformed and changed my life. So what do you do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) Condemn her to hell because she doesn't think like us? When your Bible doesn't even teach that. Sonia, we met Sonia. She, she, not only does she read cards, divination, she created her own set, her own divinatory tool to sell to people. See, most people, you think tarot cards are evil, you don't realize that they have a Judeo-Christian roots. They came out of Christian Europe. But you didn't know that. But she didn't know you could find uh, Hebrew letters embedded in all the tarot card drawings if they're traditional. But she didn't know that each one of the 22 major arcanas repro- uh, connects to one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and their pictures and their theological and symbolic meaning. But she didn't know that people who study that stuff are trying to get closer to God if they really know the real thing. But she didn't know that. And Sonia's a wonderful person and darn i mean i haven 't gotten really darkly depressed i haven 't come down with some terminal illness um yeah, thank you I have, my head hasn 't spun around i haven 't thrown up green pea soup um, I'm not seeing things that aren't there. I don't have dark spirits coming and visiting me. (laughs) But here's the issue. In order to love myself, I have to be true to myself. If I'm not true to myself, I'm not loving myself. I'm rejecting myself and creating something false. And I did that for 20-some years in ministry because I was never genuinely, truly a pastor. And I never had a passion to be a leader of a church. I felt like a fish out of water. But I felt like that's what I had to be. And so I went through most of my life emotionally disconnected, observing another person going through the motions. And so I've just decided I've got to become congruent. Congruent. With me. I've got to do what fits me. (laughs) That's another message. (laughs) I'm just looking at the time. But when I look back on it, I had incredible times with God when I believed God had to punish Jesus to save us and was sending people to hell. And I had incredible times with God when I believed, no, God didn't have to punish Jesus. I have preached contradictory things from this arena, in this arena, in this church. Some of you know, for 15, 20 years, and I've had signs and wonders on both sides. (laughs) So don't tell me God just comes and confirms the truth with signs and wonders. Because the truth is the presence of God transcends form and belief and the love of God transcends form and belief. And if you know how to tap into the well of living water that's inside of you, if you know how to tap into the part of you that is divine, if you know how to operate from a place of believing that you're an extension and a child of God, you can manifest healing, you can manifest miracles, you can manifest signs and wonders, you can manifest light, and you can even believe in reincarnation while you're doing that, and you can even believe all kinds of what we would call crazy things, because God is no respecter of persons, and he's not contained in your puny little labels for him and your belief systems. God is transcendent. So where does that leave us going forward? Where that leaves us going forward is becoming something different, becoming something other than a church and you allowing me to be something other than a pastor. So we had a choice. We met with our board of directors. We met with our staff. And we said, look, we can, I'm in a different place. This doesn't fit for me. It never did, but I'm getting, but I have to become congruent. I have to become aligned with my authentic self and I have to give my authentic self and my authentic gifts to people. And then I've got to see if the universe and God will meet me there and bring something into my life. But I don't match for a lot of the people that are here. This is a while back. And so we had two options. We could bring someone else in to pastor the church. Or we could look at what does the future look like through a reformation, a reformation. And I had somebody lined up that would be, you know, somewhere in between where I am and where we were. So it's not total shock. I mean, I couldn't bring you Jimmy Swagger. Or rod parsley, I mean, I mean that that type. You understand what I'm saying? And unanimously, both staff and board said, "No, we don't want to. We don't want to do that. It doesn't make sense." There are there are a million. if, If 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 where we're going makes you uncomfortable, and doesn't fit for you, there are a bunch of other churches in this town where you can fit in. If you need to believe that God punished Jesus and you have to pray the sinner's prayer to be saved, I can recommend right now 20 churches you can go to that teach that. If you want gifts of the Spirit and that kind of stuff, I can recommend several places that do that. So if that fits for you, great. But I have to find what fits for me. And ultimately I am the executive director of New Day Ministries. We're not part of a denomination and all the responsibility, all the legal responsibility, all the financial responsibility falls on me. So I have to have the freedom to find out what fits for me, what works for me, and move in that direction. And I'm just asking for people's blessing and understanding. What I want to retain is community. I think community is important, but we don't have to call it a congregation. What I want to retain is, I think having times like this and teaching is important. It's part of who I am. I'm absolutely a teacher. But if you want to know what my passion has been all along, it has been to help people find healing and help people find empowerment and help people find a pathway to a better life. And I have been committed to that for 20 years. And whatever tools and knowledge was given to me, I have freely shared with people to try to improve my quality of life and their quality of life. And I plan on continuing to do that. So I wanna have community. I wanna have a place where people can come and experience things workshops, personal ministry, counseling, energy work, healing that will change their lives and empower their lives. My season of deconstructing, if you will, has come to an end. (laughs) And it's time to get back to allowing myself to be congruent with who I believe God's and what I believe God's made me to be. So come October, after our awakening festival, we will not be New Day Church anymore. We'll be identifying ourselves as the awakening center. And we will still have meetings, we'll still do Bible studies, I mean, but it's also gonna give us flexibility to open up to a broader range of people who whether you agree with them or not, or like them or not, are doing things (laughs) that come from God using gifts that come from God, I'm totally convinced that is empowering and healing and changing people's lives. And I will no longer be so narrow as to say, if they don't think like me, then they must be less than me or they must be somehow disqualified or I can't learn from them or I can't associate with them. I refuse to do that anymore. I will not be sucked into a group think, nor will I maintain a culture of groupthink by only bringing in people who think like us. Namaste. Have a great afternoon. If you have questions, feel free to come talk to me. Um, I'm excited about where we're going. If, if you can't hook up with this, please hear this from the bottom of my heart. If you can't hook up with this, I have no hard feelings whatsoever. You need to fit where you fit. You need to find where your congruent place is, and we bless you to be there. Just don't be mean and lie and whatever, because I took away your G- white baby Jesus, and you don't know where I laid him. All right, have a great day. <laughs>